Welcome back to the VO2 Lounge. In this episode, I will be talking about the topic of detraining and losing fitness. Um, according to the principle of training reversibility, regular exercise training results in various physiological adaptions that enhance athletic performance. Uh, but the stoppage or marked reduction of training leads to the partial or complete reversal of these very adaptions, thus compromising athletic performance as a whole. Uh, the principle of training reversibility is also known as detraining. Uh, detraining has been recently redefined as the partial or complete loss of training-induced anatomical, physiological and performance adaptions as a consequence of training reduction or cessation. Um, several factors such as illness, injury, travel or holidays may often interfere with an athlete's training process, forcing him or her to alter their physical activity pattern by reducing or even pausing completely their training altogether. Uh, this is why people often want to know the physiological and performance consequences of such interferences, as well as the possible mechanisms responsible for these reductions in fitness. Uh, it has often been reported that a training stimulus insufficient to maintain training-induced adaptions has a marked impact on the cardiovascular and respiratory systems, and as a result, in altered metabolic patterns. So essentially, this episode is all about how fast you lose fitness, why we lose fitness, and how quickly it can be regained once uh, training is started up again. As I've mentioned already, there have been many reasons why people stop or reduce their training load, whether it's uh, increased workload professionally, whether it's an increased uh, home life pressures, or whether it is something more pleasurable like going on holiday. Sometimes you don't want to take your bike or your running shoes or whatever your sport is with you, especially if it's a team sport, you're highly unlikely to take it with you. Yes, you can keep up with um, the more endurance side of things, but taking a break is important. There are also periods of the year, such as the end of the year, when it is beneficial to take some time away from the sport. Elite athletes always do it. Cycling, for example, you usually hear people taking anywhere from four to eight weeks completely away from the bike and they return every year in pretty good shape. So clearly it can't be too detrimental. Maybe there are positives, but let's get into what is actually going on. Starting with cardiorespiratory detraining, um, there is one uh, element of this that will be at the forefront of people's minds and is incredibly popular in general for a good reason because it is probably the most important variable to some extent and that is VO2 max also known as maximal oxygen uptake. Uh, this is an incredibly important metric for both health and athletic performance and drops off quite rapidly once training is stopped. For more clarity, VO2 max is essentially the maximum volume of oxygen that a person can use during exercise. This can be expressed as an absolute value, which is litres per minute, or more useful, the relative value for comparison between individuals, which is in millilitres per minute per kilogram. Uh, in as little as four weeks, uh, studies report anywhere from a 6 to 14% decrease in VO2 max. And with shorter periods such as 10 to 15 days, 
a drop of 4% is easily expected. Um, a small caveat to this is that these are often on the relatively high trained individuals with VO2 maxes in the 60 plus mil per min per gig range. Um, the VO2 max loss during training cessation seems to be dependent on the time and initial fitness level of the individual. Uh, in a study, seven endurance trained subjects uh, refrained from training for 84 days and their VO2 max declined by 7% in 21 days and by 16% in 56 days. Then it began to stabilize at that level. Uh, which was still 17.3% higher than that of the sedentary control subject. So you're still better off, say you're not doing the sport necessarily for uh, performance, you're doing it more for your health, you can see that you're always better off, you're not going to go back fully to your sedentary state, especially if you have been training for a prolonged period of time. Um, these and other similar results indicate that VO2 max of highly trained athletes decreases progressively and proportionally to the initial VO2 max during the first eight weeks of training cessation. Uh, this decline ranges between 4 and 20%. Most studies, however, indicate that VO2 max ceases to decline thereafter and remains higher than baseline. Um, it's important to note that this is limited to historically well-trained individuals. People who have only been training for less than 20 weeks will often revert to baseline somewhere in the region of six months after pausing all of their training. So clearly there are just some almost possibly structural uh, adaptions that are being left behind even when um, the sort of pointier end of things are disappearing and the top line number is being reduced quite drastically there is still a great improvement over um, your baseline and puts an emphasis on why a long career of exercise is critically important in both performance and just general health blood volume is something people may not consider but is another performance adaption that will begin to dwindle as an individual stops their training. Uh, blood volume plays a key role in both oxygen transport and cooling the body during exercise. Um, the reduction in blood volume has reported to begin as early as two days after the cessation of exercise. Uh, with longer breaks of around 14 days, a 5% drop can be expected. If you're wondering what makes up this blood volume, well, this will be red blood cells, blood plasma, total plasma protein, um, plasma albumin, albumin, I always get the pronunciation a bit wrong. A large amount of this blood volume change related to the plasma protein dynamics. A loss of protein appeared to be the responsible for 97% of the reduction in plasma volume as a total across various um, studies. After exercise, the body undergoes plasma expansion due to an increase in the plasma protein content, increasing the intravascular water retention. Um, this is thought to be present one hour after exercise and lasts for up to 48 hours. Hence, the decrease in plasma volume after two days uh, of inactivity. Uh, this points to blood volume being less of a sign of performance loss than, say, VO2 max as when comparing two periods of detraining, one for four weeks with no exercise and one for eight weeks with the reduced exercise, 
the plasma um, volume change was very similar around 4% but the VO2 max change was 3.6 and 7% respectively so clearly there is a quite a gap let's say in the VO2 max values but clearly the blood plasma is the same which points to it being possibly a factor definitely a factor to some extent it's helping with oxygen carrying capacity and cooling which definitely would have affected uh, RPE and depending on where these studies were done what the environment was if it was a particularly cool environment maybe say 15 10 degrees then the VO2 max test may have not been compromised in any way whereas obviously again there is more to performance than VO2 max itself so if you took two people on a time trial and one of them was incredibly poorly adapted to heat doesn't really matter that much if their VO2 max is 5% higher than another individual if that individual is very well acclimatized to heat there is more to it but clearly looking purely at VO2 max it would appear that blood plasma volume is less of a determining factor slash deteriorating factor that influences overall performance in this instance. Now heart rate, unlike the previous metrics I've just mentioned, is something we all probably monitor already. So it would be no surprise when I say that heart rate at both submaximal and maximal efforts increases by roughly 5-10%. to 10% as a result of the reduction on blood volume uh, obviously we are able to monitor it much more easily heart rate monitors are pretty cheap and accessible in comparison to trying to get a vo2 max test or measuring your blood volume um, this is after a break of as little as 10 days these 5 to 10 percent can be seen uh, the return to the trained heart rate is often quick due to the fast response of blood plasma increases as mentioned already uh, resting heart rate however does not seem to be affected by short breaks or a, of a few weeks and may even lower as fatigue is reduced um, on the individual again the 10 the trend sorry is very different for newly trained individuals who can lose all their gains in as little as four weeks and resting heart rate can return to baseline in a similar time Again, sticking with the heart, we have stroke volume and cardiac output, which are also affected by detraining. Um, seeing as we've spoken about the heart already, blood volume is important to also talk about the effects on stroke volume and cardiac output, as these all interact with one another. They're all in the same kind of sphere, to some extent. Um, stroke volume is a bit like an engine displacement, as the volume of the blood moved um, with every beat. Studies have shown a 12% reduction in stroke volume after two to four weeks of inactivity, which returns quickly after plasma expansion. However, VO2 max is not restored and remains about 3% down on the trained values. Now with the heart rate and stroke volume combined, you get cardiac output and cardiac output drops by 8% after 21 days, then appears to stabilize thereafter for a period, uh, a, a prolonged period of time clearly kind of showing that some of these adaptions like to do with stroke volume and any of it that is structural to the heart clearly takes longer to decay whereas anything that is linked directly to the blood volume is going to be quite quick because that 48 hour period once that elapses you're probably back at 
a closer to baseline value. So as I've alluded to that element of the structural adaptions to the heart, um, let's go on to cardiac dimensions, aka the dimensions of the heart. Um, reports of altered cardiac dimensions in the short term appear to be a little inconsistent, let's say. Some reports, um, some reports significant reductions in left ventricular end Dystolic dimensions of about 11.8%, 12%, and left ventricular wall thickness of around 25%, and an increased mean blood pressure during upright exercise in athletes who refrained from physical training for three weeks. Probably a good idea to get an image of a heart up right now if you don't know where some of these parts are. Um, in this case, these changes are attributed to the reduction in left ventricular mass of about 19.5%. In contrast, other investigations find no change after 10 days of um, cessation of exercise. During longer periods of training, cessation, say for example 8 weeks, the left ventricular end diastolic uh, dimensions of highly trained athletes declined in parallel with the stroke volume. Meanwhile, left ventricular uh, posterior wall thickness decreased progressively by 25%. But the left ventricular mass uh, was unaltered after the decline observed following the initial three weeks of deconditioning. Uh, mean and systolic blood pressure have been shown to increase during um, a 9 to 12 week uh, period without training. So kind of, you know, exercise they tell you you know, reduce blood pressure. Here's kind of showing how it returns back. Um, as for newly trained individuals, uh, there does seem to be, uh, sorry, doesn't seem to be any effects of training um, cessation on cardiac dimensions in the recently trained individuals, probably because there hasn't really been enough time uh, for any of the changes in the dimensions of the heart to actually take place. But the effects of eight weeks of endurance training on systolic and diastolic pressures uh, have been shown to be reversed within four weeks of detraining in a group of eight previously sedentary uh, women, as were the subjects in that trial. Right now we've gone through the detraining effects slash factors um, specific to the cardiorespiratory system. Now it's important to look at metabolic detraining, specifically to start with, um, substrate availability and utilization. So the effects of detraining are not limit to, to, limited to just the cardiorespiratory adaptions. There are other metabolic factors that also come into play. Uh, so starting with substrate utilization, something I've covered before, but I like to treat each episode as if the listener has not heard anything of mine before or knows very little about the subject. So let's get into substrate availability and utilization. An increased respiratory exchange ratio or an RER at submaximal and maximal exercise intensities is one of the metabolic consequences of a short period of insufficient training stimulus in athletes. RER being the ratio between the amount of CO2 uh, being produced by the body and the amount of O2 being consumed by the body. It has been demonstrated uh, in athletic population that three weeks of training stoppage can result in an increase uh, in RER from 0.89 to 0.95 as submaximal intensities exercise kind of 60% of VO2 max and below. 
the literature has uh, a or as a whole provides a clear indication of a shift towards an increased reliance on carbohydrate as an energy substrate for exercise muscles sorry for exercising muscles um, in committance with the decreased contribution from lipid metabolism why do we draw this conclusion well lipid metabolism produces more atp or simply energy for the muscles to use for a given volume of O2, meaning that if the oxygen demand for a given activity is increasing, then the body's trending um, towards the less aerobically efficient substrate or glucose. Uh, in addition, there have been several reports of rapid decline in sensitivity for insulin-mediated whole-body glucose uptake during short-term inactivity. Five days without training were enough to uh, for endurance athletes to decrease insulin sensitivity to levels found in untrained subjects. Um, Short-term inactivity studies, something around the six-day kind of region in endurance runners, uh, it was shown that training cessation reduces glucose disposal rates after insulin infusion by about 14 to 30 percent. It was a pretty wide range despite the 10 to 22% higher plasma insulin present. Um, insulin clearance and muscle GLUT4 um, transporter protein are also reduced by 8 to 30%, again, a big range, um, and 70.5% respectively. Uh, these results indicate that short term inactivity decreases insulin ac um, action in endurance runners suggesting that reduction in the GLUT4 transporter level may be playing a role in the decrease in glucose disposal rates. So essentially, you're just becoming like a member of the general public, I suppose, who's heavily reliant on insulin to put away their glucose rather than the active, the active muscle. Uh, next worth mentioning is blood lactate kinetics. Um, highly trained athletes have been shown to respond to submaximal exercise of the same absolute intensity with higher blood lactate concentrations after only a few days of training cessation. Um, it's important to mention now that if you see lactate as some kind of a poison, well, it is not. Lactate can be used inside the muscle to fuel exercise, and when it's picked up in the blood, that is because you're producing more lactate than your muscles can utilize, specifically the active muscle that is producing the lactate. Um, and as a result, this lactate is shuttled to other parts of the body to be processed. Um, competitive swimmers, skeletal muscle metabolic characteristics have been reported um, to suffer dramatic changes affecting the blood lactate kinetics in as little as one to four weeks without training. Um, mu muscle respiratory capacity increased by about 50% after one week of inactivity in a group of eight swimmers. Um, when subjects performed a standardized 183 meter submaximal swim, post-swim blood lactate was 2.3 times higher, pH uh, significantly lower, 7.1 versus well, 7.183 versus 7.259, which in respect to blood pH is a large difference. Um, an increased blood lactate concentration at submaximal exercise intensities has also been reported in six college football players after nine weeks of um, postseason break. 
Lactate threshold has been shown to decline with 84 days of inactivity from 79.3% to 74.7% of VO2 max, but to remain above sedentary control values of 62.2%. This has been backed up by many, many other investigations and studies. So clearly that ability to utilize lactate and prevented it from leaking out into the bloodstream is going to diminish pretty heavily in a period of time that isn't exactly long. Um, Recently trained subjects exercise blood lactate concentration does not seem to be as affected by short-term training cessation. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Wibom et al., indicated that three weeks without train did not reverse the reduction in submax called blood lactate concentration produced by six by a six weeks endurance training program in nine young males and other reports have shown 40% retention of gains in peak blood lactate concentration induced by six weeks of interval training during two weeks without training in young healthy females but again, longer-term detraining showed a complete reversal of these gains made by the individual. Bit of a trend, really. I think the best way to look at it as the pointier your stick is, the easy, the quicker it's going to get blunt, respectively. But it's still sharper than a brick, for example. The 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 elite level, they're losing such large percentages of their overall vo2 max or lactate threshold capabilities because it's so high and it requires so much maintenance and it is so far from being necessary or slash being at like a homeostasis level it requires so much input that when the body stops it's going to really reverse things back to a level it deems sensible um, whereas in un, like very poorly trained individuals, they're so far away from the genetic ceiling, they're probably far away from where they should be anyway. Means that it doesn't it doesn't drop as quickly because they're not at like an, an effectively an unstable point in their fitness sort of arc. And then clearly they still return to baseline faster than an elite trained individual because there just simply isn't that much historic adaptions it's a bit like the difference between if you set out tomorrow to lay down some tarmac if you know you get as far as 50 meters and then leave it and then the human race goes extinct I don't know, in however many hundreds of years, it's gone. Whereas you think of all the tarmac laid over the hundreds of years and on the motorways and so on, those are going to take a lot longer for them to be repossessed by the world because there's simply just historically much more of it around. Muscle glycogen is also something affected. And people, anyone doing a large event is probably quite aware of it because they've thought about carb loading and trying to get this muscle glycogen really topped off so that they have all the energy and fuel available for their big event. 
Um, muscle glycogen is particularly important for endurance athletes as it provides a way of storing more fuel needed for high intensity work. Muscle glycogen concentrations experience a rapid decline with training cessation in highly trained athletes in relation with an also rapid decline in glucose to glucose conversion and glucose synthesis activity. Indeed, eight competitive swimmers' muscle glycogen concentration declined by 20% in the first week of training cessation after the comp- competitive season and by 8 10% uh, per week without training thereafter. Uh, pre-exercise muscle glycogen has also been shown to be reduced by 20% in a group of triathletes, cyclists, runners undergoing four weeks of insufficient training. Uh, in addition, short-term five-day inactivity has been shown to be enough um, in seven endurance-trained athletes to decrease glucose-to-glucose conversion and glucose synthesis activities towards sedentary values. This kind of just looks like that muscle glycogen is almost a stress response to some extent if the stimulus is not readily available then that being the exercise then within a very short period of time it's effectively going to your body's got controller in there going okay i'm storing 200 grams and then next day you don't actually use it and so you don't actually top it back up back to 200 maybe it just goes to 100 and it just seems to decline as it realizes it doesn't need the fuel on board because that huge stressor that comes every day normally of exercise, it isn't present. So the muscle glycogen just isn't needed and it's just excess fuel and just can be used throughout the day and there's no need for it. So bringing this all back around, how does this affect endurance performance? Um, well, it's important. That is the part of this whole episode, really. Um, well, it's been repeatedly shown that highly trained athletes' endurance performance suffers a rapid deterioration uh, when the training stimulus disappears or is insufficient to maintain training-induced adaptions. So not just going full cold turkey, but also just backing off the gas a little bit is going to, of course, re- diminish your um, abilities and trying to avoid that is j- ridiculous really uh, for example female competitive swimmers were 2.6% slower in the 366 meter swim after only 10 days without training um, exercise time to exhaustion has also been reported to be reduced during training cessation by 92 and 25% in two weeks and by 7.6 and 21% in four weeks. So there always seems to be this kind of like big drop off in general. And then it seems like the curve kind of shallows out as you get further and further into this kind of detraining period. Um, 100 um, and 200 meter swimming performances have also been shown to decline by 3 to 13% in national and international level swimmers during the long term inactivity period between two training seasons um, also exercise time to exhaustion has been reported to decline by 24 percent in five weeks of training cessation in addition endurance trained male and female runners oxygen uptake during a standardized sub exercise task increased significantly by about three 
to 8% following 12 weeks of training cessation effectively. Um, that's just kind of obvious, really. You're going to take a hit if you stop training with these decreases in all these factors, like your cardiac adaptions, your VO2 max, your ability to store glucose and glycogen in the muscle is all going to add up, is it not? Um, recently trained individuals, endurance performance does not seem to significantly affected by short-term training sessions. Again, really, because they never made a lot of gains in the first place. A study on previously sedentary middle-aged males and females reported that a 19.4% gain in the time to exhaustion achieved during 12 weeks of training was retained during the following two weeks of inactivity. Um, long-term inactivity, on the other hand, appears to result in significant or complete as prior um, evidence of other factors is shown reversal of performance gains achieved through training um, this has been proven true in a young um, sedentary males females who stopped training for seven weeks after 15 weeks of training and whose work output during the 90 second effort fell by 8.3 percent um, in college women participating in a 10-week training and uh, 10-week detraining protocol and whose total work performance during the maximal exercise task decreased by 22 percent and then again, in young females training for eight weeks and not training for the following 12 weeks, as a result of which time to exhaustion declined by approximately 37%, reverting to a pre-training values. So plenty of work on it. The percentages, to some extent, I don't really, I don't really think matter. You kind of just have to accept they happen. Um the key thing to take away from it is, I guess, suppose understanding why these happen, the physiological factors, dealing with them, implementing them, causing them, um, understanding what is going to come back quickly, what is going to take longer, things like the heart rate changes are clearly going to come back a bit quicker and most people will be aware of this when they just look at their heart rate monitor when they're training. But what about now moving on to how can we prevent slash minimize the damage done depending on your situation now two things one you can never get away from this i'm not going to pretend like you're going to be able to completely remove all of the losses that you experience from taking a prolonged break but there are ways that this can be mitigate mitigated uh, but let's get some of these things straight if you're taking four weeks off because it's the end of the season, then do not worry about any of these numbers and don't worry about preserving any fitness. Um, you'll be completely fine. If you're going on a four-day weekend trip somewhere, then just enjoy yourself and take the break. It's not going to, again, make too much of a difference. Clearly, there's going to be some effects on heart rate when you come back, but maybe ease in with an easier session. Or if you can do some kind of cross training while you're there any kind of stimulus running if you're even better you are do, you're a triathlete or you're a runner in general then you can just take shoes and do 20 minutes clearly some really short sharp effort is going to just preserve that if it is critically important if you are like 10 15 weeks away from that big event or any event then just don't bother if you're two weeks out from like your big event, then yeah, take something, figure out a way of just getting a stimulus to tie you over. 
Now, I'm making a lot of assumptions that people listening to this train with a high level of frequency, say five or six times a week. But I guess the rule is, uh, you know, you can just apply this, these percentages to whatever amount of training you're doing. Obviously, if you're only doing two days a week, then to some extent, there isn't really a need to go through a period of time like this if your training is being impacted it's probably being impacted to the point it's zero whereas someone who's training six days a week it can get impacted and brought down to three for example so training frequency fitness appears to be maintained far better when training frequency is reduced by 50 percent and nothing more really um, and spread out fairly evenly across the week say monday thursday saturday that kind of thing rather than monday tuesday wednesday nothing until the following monday uh, as for training volume again this can be reduced by 50 percent or even a bit more depending on what exactly it is you're training to maintain say you've got a big ride in february that's like 180 plus kilometers like then maybe keep this a little higher but if you're trying to just keep things ticking over for summer criteriums then slightly less important obviously it depends on the intensity of that 180k ride but you know maybe try keep it a little higher as for intensity high intensity is what is going to maintain that vo2 max the most six uh five minute efforts at um, FTP for cyclists can be enough to drastically reduce the rate at which maximal fitness um, is reduced. For runners, this can turn into quite a big session, so this could be reduced to three five-minute efforts, really. So in short, uh, it would seem that any form of pause in your training is going to have an effect on your performance metrics, as would be expected. Some more than others, some return faster, and we've kind of gone over that. But your VO2 max and the overall performance in general is going to take a hit. However, much of this can be regained in short time frame, assuming the break is equally short, really kind of topping out at four weeks. Uh, strong athletes are likely to see a greater performance detriment as they have more to lose uh, than a less trained individual. But this is likely because they are right at the tip of the spear and can be blunted quickly, as I've mentioned before. And with that, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more content like this, there are plenty of previous episodes that you can check out. But before you do, why not follow the podcast and leave it a rating wherever you get your podcast from, or even better, share it with a friend. For any co uh, comments, feedback, or if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, I can be contacted at the VO2 lounge at gmail.com. And with that, I will see you in the next one.